We're making our way through the book of Daniel in a series that we're calling Teenager. And the reason we're calling it that is because Daniel is a teenager when we're introduced to him. He makes a decision that impacts not only the rest of his life, but the people around him's life. Him's life, his life, whatever. Uh, People around him, their lives are impacted as well. There we go. That's how you finagle a sentence to work. Um, So he makes this decision as a young man, as a teenager, maybe somewhere from uh, 13 to 15, we're not exactly sure. Young guy makes a decision, and it alters the rest of his life, and he changes the world that he's in. Now, we were introduced to him uh, at Sunday Night Live. If you weren't there, Daniel chapter 1 is such an important text, but where basically what happens is there is a kingdom called Babylon that uh, attacked the nation of Israel. They defeat the nation of Israel, and then they capture, we're told, literally the best-looking young men in Israel go back with them to Babylon. So I wouldn't make the cut. Some of you guys perhaps would make the cut. Um, Others of you, you'd be with me. We'd be like, all right, see you guys. Um, We're not good looking enough or smart enough or whatever our reason is. So they were captured, taken into Babylon. And then there, basically the goal of the people of Babylon is to, in effect, brainwash the people of Israel. They want them to forget about where they come from. They give them a new name. They give them things that they think are more desirable than what they come from. And they're going to educate them in Babylon's uh, uh, schools, their religion, uh, their language, basically to transform them from people that follow God in Israel into people that follow King. His name at the time is Nebuchadnezzar. Now, we're told that Daniel chapter 1, verse 8, such a powerful verse, says that Daniel purposed in his heart that he was not going to defile himself with what the king had to offer him. Basically, he was making a stand against opposition, uh, against temptation, that he wanted to do what honored God above what honors even the people around him. That at the end of the day, his goal is to please God above everybody else. I think we could pause just for a moment and give us some application that we should have a desire to please God above everybody else. Even above our friends, we want to honor God. Even above our teachers at times, we want to uh, honor God. Even sometimes when our parents ask us to do things that maybe dishonor God, we want to honor God above all else. That can be difficult. That can be hard to understand or hard to walk out. But Daniel makes this decision that he's going to honor God. The crazy thing is he's not punished for it, but actually he's, he's promoted from it. He makes this decision and God's favor is behind him and we see blessing in his life as a result of this decision. Now, Daniel is an incredible book because one, it's, in, it's filled with inspiring stories, but it's also a book filled with God-inspired prophecies. And what we're going to see as basically we go through this book that Daniel gets words from God that are about future events that were yet to happen when Daniel wrote about them or predicted them. But then history shows us that he's spot on. And in Daniel chapter 2, where we'll be tonight, we see one of those prophecies. But some of these prophecies that are made by Daniel are so compelling and accurate that people try and say that Daniel couldn't have possibly written them at the time that they were written. He had to have written them much later because he was so spot on. 
The, the book was written around 600 BC, so 600 years before the time of Christ. But the things that he wrote about happened in those next couple hundred years, and he describes them in such detail and such accuracy that people say that he, there's no way he lived 600 BC. It was actually more like 137 BC. And he's actually writing back about some of these things and that the stories aren't true, that it's just supposed to inspire us. But the language and the, the, and the text and all of these things prove to us that he actually wrote them way before it happened. But because of God, he gave them proof and prophecy about what was yet to happen. Now, Daniel, he's there. He's working for the king. He's out of his home country. He's in the land of Babylon, and God begins to work in his heart and work in the lives around the people, in him and the people around him. We're going to look first uh, in Daniel chapter 1, verse 19. It says, Then the king interviewed them, and among them uh, all, none was found like Daniel, Hanani, uh, Mishael and Azariah. Therefore, they served before the king. That's Daniel and his three friends. And in all ma matters of wisdom and understanding about which the king uh, examined them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and astrologers who were in all the realm. I like how it's specific, ten times better. Like, you're like, you're like ten times better than everybody else. I don't know, it's kind of funny. Uh, the, verse 21, Thus Daniel continued until the first year... Of King Cyrus. Now the story goes on. Now in the second year of Nebuchadnezzar's reign, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams and his spirit was so troubled that his sleep left him. You ever had a dream like that? Like you wake up just so freaked out. You're like, what was that? You can't go back to sleep. You turn on all your lights and you're like, I'm just going to pray now. It's basically what Nebuchadnezzar had happened to him. Then the king gave the command to call the magicians, the astrologers, the sorcerers, and the Chaldeans to tell the king his dream. So they came and stood before the king. And the king said to them, I have had a dream, and my spirit is anxious to know the dream. Then the Chaldeans spoke to the king in Aramaic and said, O king, live forever. Tell your servants the dream, and we will give the interpretation. The king answered and said to the Chaldeans, My decision is firm. If you do not make known the dream to me and its interpretation, you shall be cut in pieces. You, did I read that right? Yeah, okay. You shall be cut in pieces and your houses shall be made an ash heap. However, if you tell the dream and its interpretation, you receive from me gifts, rewards, and great honor. Therefore, tell me the dream and its interpretation. They answered again and said, let the king tell his servants the dream, and then we'll give you its interpretation. The king answered and said, I know for certain that you would gain time because you see that my decision is firm. If you do not make known the dream to me, there's only one decree for you. For you have agreed to speak lying and corrupt words before me till the time has changed. Therefore, tell me the dream. I shall know that you can give me its interpretation. Then the Chaldeans answered the king said, there's not a man on earth who could tell the king's matter. Therefore, no king, lord, or ruler has ever asked such a thing of any magician, astrologer, or a Chaldean. It is a difficult thing that the king requests, and there's no other who can tell it to the king except the gods whose dwelling is not with flesh. For this reason, the king was angry and very furious and gave command to destroy all the wise men of Babylon. So the decree went out, and they began killing the wise men. And they sought Daniel and his companions to kill them. We're going to pause right there. We're going to look at the rest of the story, but we're going to pause there. I've titled this message, if you take notes, I don't know what I'm doing. 
You write that down. I don't know what I'm doing. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word. We ask that you would speak to us now in it. And Lord, as we talk about this idea of not knowing what we're doing, we pray that we would have supernatural, heavenly wisdom to direct us and guide us in every aspect of our life. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You ever been in a situation where you have no idea what you're doing? You're like, I am completely clueless. Um, when I was 18 years old, I got a job. I transferred from being a busboy at the Ocean Grill here in town, um, and I started working at Starbucks. And uh, I, I started working at Starbucks. They really needed me, and so they like basically threw me in, and I did not have formal training. Um, part of the formal training is you, uh, at least I think back when I did, Kristen, you can testify to this whether or not it's true, um, but we would, we would sample a bunch of the coffee. We had to figure out the different tastes and flavors of the coffee. Side note, I didn't drink coffee at the time when I started working there, and I worked the night shift like 5 to 10.30, and basically my job was to taste coffee, and for the first two weeks I worked there, I couldn't sleep at night, and I couldn't figure out why I couldn't sleep, and then one day I realized like, oh, I know why. It's because I'm drinking tons of caffeine at like 10 o'clock at night, and then going home and trying to sleep, besides the point. Part of the thing you're supposed to do is you sample a bunch of the different coffee beans and the roasts and the flavors, and then you have this thing. I think it was called a passport or a passbook. Do, you get, do they still have that? Okay. That was way back in my day. But um, this, like, passport thing, and you would, you would take the coffee beans. You would write down notes of the flavors of basically what they tasted like so that you knew if somebody asked, like, hey, what does this type of coffee taste like? You've written it in your passbook. You pull it out and be like, oh, well, this one has notes of this, blah, blah, blah. Well, they really needed me. They didn't have time to give me the formal training. So basically, they're just like, try a bunch of coffees. What do you think? I'm like, eh, it's coffee. I guess they all taste the same. And so then people would come in and ask, and they would, they would go and select coffee beans. And they'd be like, hey, um, I want to get this coffee bean. What does it taste like? And I'd be like, I have no idea. But you can't say that, right? You, their goal is to make the sale. Like, you want them to buy the coffee beans. So I'd be like, yeah, um, this one has like a real, like, earthy kind of taste. Um, and then I, there'd be a different one back. Like, uh, this one's like a little more on like the nutty, fruity side, maybe. That sounds like coffee language. Um, and I'd be like, I have no idea what I'm doing. But the goal was just to get them to buy the coffee. And so I would make it up on the fly, and they'd be like, yeah, that sounds good. I'm like, does it? All right, here you go. And they'd buy the coffee, and on they went with their life. And nobody found out that I was making it up. Yeah, cheers. <laughs> so here's to lying, everybody. No, I'm just kidding. Um, so Daniel is in a situation where he really has no idea what he's doing. In fact, nobody has any idea what they're doing. We read of the story where this king has this dream. He wakes up in the middle of the night. He's freaked out by it, so he asks. He's got all these wise men around him, the astrologers, these magicians, these sorcerers. And basically what he wants them to do is tell them his dream and the interpretation. So imagine you are for a second. I wake up in the middle of the night. I have a dream. I tell you the next morning, hey, I had this dream. It freaked me out. And you're like, what was it? I'm like, you tell me. You'd be like, what? Like, yep, tell me my dream. You're like, I don't think it works like that. And then I'd be like, and afterwards, tell me what it means. And you'd be like, I don't think that's, that's possible. That's what the king does. And then he says, if you can't tell me my dream and you can't tell me the interpretation, I'm going to cut you up into little pieces. 
So everybody's, as you would imagine, a little freaked out, right? They're like, what are we going to do? And then when they're like, king, that's like impossible. We can't do that. They're like, he literally goes off with your heads like you're dead. And he starts killing people because they're unable to tell him their dream. So that's the situation that happens. And they have no idea what they're supposed to do. And Daniel and his friends, we're going to read about it in a moment, are part of that team of the people that are going to be killed because they have to tell the king his dream and predict or interpret what it means. And I think a lot of times we find ourselves in situations where we have no idea what we're doing because we've never been there before. Daniel and all of his buddies and all of these wise men are in a situation where they have no idea what they're doing, primarily because they've never done it before. And in fact, nobody's ever done this before. They literally say there has never been a king that has made a request like this before. Like King Nebuchadnezzar, you are doing something that nobody has ever, it is not humanly possible to do what you're asking us to do. We have no idea what we're doing. And Daniel, we're going to see in a moment, has the answers. Now, I think when it comes to life, especially with this idea of teenager and being at the point in life that Daniel is, it is very difficult to have wisdom for things when we've never been there before. One of the primary ways we find wisdom, wisdom is knowing what to do in it's having knowledge and then what to do with that knowledge. It's basically you get to a road in life, there's two paths that you can take, and wisdom allows you to pick the right path that you're supposed to go down. And one of the main ways one requires wisdom is through experience, right? A lot of times if you talk to older people in your life and you ask them for, for input into your life, usually what they'll tell you is don't do this because that's what I did and it wasn't good. A lot of times you find through experience the right thing and the wrong thing, usually from trial and error. So how do you make the right decision? How do you make the right thing if you've never been somewhere before? How do you use wisdom? How do you do what's right? How do you do what honors God if you're in a situation that you've, you've never been in before? You don't know what to do and you don't know who to turn to or how to do it. Maybe when it comes to the school you're going to go to or a relationship you're going to be in or, 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 or the sport that you want to play or whatever it is. How do you make the right decision if you've never been there before? And here they are. They're, they're faced with this, this opportunity. Really, it's a, it's a difficult thing that they're in front of them, and they have no idea what they're doing, and yet they're forced to make the right decision because if they don't, they're going to die. So how do you make the right decision? The first thing I would say is you got to pray and receive. Pray and receive. I'm going to continue on with the story. Verse 14, it says this, Then, with counsel and wisdom, Daniel answered Arioch, that's the guy in charge, the captain of the king's guard, who had gone out to kill the wise men of Babylon. He answered and said to him, why is this decree from the king so urgent? Then Arioch made the decision known to Daniel. So Daniel went in and asked the king to give him time that he might tell the king the interpretation. Then Daniel went to his house and made the decision known to Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, his companions, that they may seek mercies from the God of heaven concerning the secret so that Daniel and his companions might not perish with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. Listen, verse 19. 
Then the secret was revealed to Daniel in a night vision. So Daniel blessed God of heaven, and Daniel answered and said, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, for wisdom and might are his, and and he changes the times and the seasons. He removes kings and raises up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. He reveals deep and secret things. He knows what is in the darkness, and light dwells with him. I thank you and praise you, O God of my fathers. You have given me wisdom and might and have now made known to me what we asked of you, for you have made known to us the king's demand. Notice, here Daniel is in a situation that could potentially cost him his life if he makes the wrong decision. If he goes to the king and he's like, "Uh, what if it means this? And he's wrong. Or did you dream this? Or, or, Or he runs from the king or whatever it is. He's in a situation that could potentially cost him his life. What is the first thing he does? He goes and prays. He goes, do you know, I don't have the answer. I have no idea what I'm doing. I'm just... A kid. I've never been in this situation before. Wiser people than me with more experience than I have and that have been down roads like this before have no idea what they're doing. So I'm going to turn to God. The first thing he does is he goes to God. Daniel went and prayed. But notice also he didn't pray by himself. He got his crew together. He's like, there is a, t- a decision in front of me. There is a there's doors in front of me. I need to make I need to open the right door. I have no idea what I'm doing, so I'm going to get my close friends around, and we're going to seek God together. Prayer allows you to tap into God's wisdom. Prayer allows you to discern and do the right things in situations that you've never walked down before. It gives you access to God's perspective, God's eternal perspective. God, who, who created the beginning, he's in the middle, and he's in the future. He knows everything. He's the beginning, the middle, and the end. And God, when you pray to him, he gives us access to his perspective. You don't have to know the answer to all of life's questions, but you can pray about everything and gain wisdom from God. And listen, when they prayed... They received an answer about what to do. We're told that the secret was revealed. That idea of the secret being revealed, we call this a revelation. When God speaks is a revelation because God reveals from his infinite wisdom, from from all of his experience, from all of time past, God speaks and we hear from him. Now, how do we hear from him when we pray? Well, primarily the way we hear from him is through his word. So God will speak through his word. This is literally God's written word, and God wants to speak to you in it. God will speak to you in a setting like this. Have you ever been in a church setting where the the preacher's talking, and you're like, how did he know that I was going through that in my life? Well, the reason for that is because we we monitor your every move. (laughs) And then we we have surveillance in all of your homes, and I get direct feed to it, and then I know this is what I'm going to preach about this week. No, that's ridiculous. The reason is because God is God. He cares about your life. He knows your life. He wants to speak to you. And by any means necessary, he'll try to get your attention. And so God, in his infinite wisdom, will speak to us through a setting like this. And then God will also speak to you through your friends. God will speak to you where where you're having a conversation and your friend will be like, hey, I think you should do this. And you're like, do you know what? That seems right. Now, I'm not saying just your friends always have the right answer, but godly friends, opening up your life to them is a good thing because they can speak to you. And then I'd say the fourth way is the Bible would call it a still, small voice. God will just put something on your heart. And you're like, I think this is what God wants me to do. 
when we pray, we will receive wisdom or a revelation from God. They had no idea what to do. They'd never been there before, and yet God gives them wisdom because they prayed and they received what God had for them. The second thing that they did was praise and act. Notice that immediately after the secret was revealed, after they have this revelation, the first thing they do is begin to praise God. Daniel basically writes a worship song in the middle of Daniel chapter 2. He writes it spontaneous style. Just all of a sudden he starts singing. He starts praising God. He starts thanking God for what he's done and revealing to him what he needed to see. He just praises God. God, you, I mean, his praise is amazing. He's blessed be the name of God. He says he changes the times and the seasons. He removes kings. He says he has knowledge. To, he gives knowledge to those who have no understanding. He reveals deep and secret things. He says, I thank you and praise you. You have given me wisdom and might. He just begins to celebrate who God is and what God's done. He recognizes that any wisdom that he has and any good thing that he has comes from God. And so he gives glory to God. One of the things we need to make a routine in our life is giving God glory when he answers prayers. I find myself all the time in stupid things. Like I'll lose my keys, right? All the time I'll lose my keys because I'm just like, my keys should go there today. There they go. And then I'm like, where are my keys? And I'm like, God, will you help me find my keys? And then I'll find my keys, and then I'll just move on with my life. And sometimes I just feel like I'll like have an impression like, shouldn't you give honor to God and glory to God? I mean, it's stupid, but, I mean, God's involved in every detail of your life. So why don't you say, man, thank God. Thank you, God, for helping me find my keys. Like you prayed. He answered it. And we just go on about our life. And then, but if we build habits with little things, then when we pray and God answers it, we'll give him glory for the big things. We need to learn to praise, but then also we have to act. Let's, con let's continue on with the story. I'm going to read quite a few verses. Is that okay? All right. It's, it's really intriguing, the story, okay? Verse 24. So he praises God, but then he has to act upon it. It says, therefore, Daniel went to Arioch, whom the king had appointed to destroy the wise men of Babylon. He went and said thus to him, do not destroy the wise men of Babylon. Take me before the king, and I will tell the king the interpretation. Then Arioch quickly brought Daniel before the king and said to him, I have found a man out of the captives of Judah who will make known to the king the interpretation. The king answered and said to Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar, Are you able to make known to me the dream which I have seen and its interpretation? Daniel answered in the presence of the king and said, The secret which the king has demanded, the wise men, the astrologers, the magicians, and the soothsayers cannot declare to the king. He says, But there is a God in heaven who reveals secrets. And he has made known to King Nebuchadnezzar what will be in the latter days. Your dream and the visions of your head upon your bed were these. Now he's going to tell him the dream and then he'll interpret it. He says, as for you, O king, thoughts came to your mind while you were on your bed about what would come to pass after this. And he who reveals secrets has made known to you what, will they, what they'll be. But as for me, the secret has not been revealed to me because I have more wisdom than anyone living, but for our sakes who make known the interpretation of the king and that you may know the thoughts of your heart. You, O king, were watching, and behold, a great image, the great image whose splendor was excellent stood before you, and its form was awesome. This is the dream now. He says, this image's head was of fine gold and its chest and arms of silver. 
its belly and thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, its feet partly of iron and partly of clay. You watched, and while a stone uh, was cut out of, I lost my place, cut out without hands, which struck the image on its feet of iron and clay and broke them in pieces. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, and the gold were crushed together and became like chaff from the summer threshing floors. The wind carried them away so that no trace of them was found. And the stone that struck the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. This is the dream. Now we will tell the interpretation of it before the king. So pause just briefly. So he's like, okay, here's your dream. You dream that there's this giant statue. You're standing there. The giant statue had a gold head. It had a silver chest. had a bronze. had iron. had uh, iron and clay on its feet. It was standing there. It was all glorious and majestic and amazing. And then all of a sudden, a giant rock came out of nowhere. And it crushed the feet of that giant statue. The whole thing crumbled into ash and blew away in the wind. And then that rock that crushed the feet of the giant statue then became a massive mountain on the ground. Pretty interesting dream. Like if I woke up to that dream, I'd be like, there's definitely got to be a meaning behind that one. You know what I mean? It wasn't just like you fumbling through like your life and then all of a sudden you're like trip and you can't stand up. Like anybody have dreams like that where you're just like, you're like trying to grab something and you're like this? You're like, I don't think that dream means a whole lot, but a dream like this means something. Then he says this. I'm going to tell you the interpretation of the dream. You guys ready for the interpretation? Yeah. All right. It says this. You, O king, are king of kings. Not the king of kings. Make note of that. Just a king of kings. For the God of heaven has given you a kingdom, power, strength, and glory. And wherever the children of men dwell, or the beasts of the field and the birds of the heaven, he has given them into your hand and has made you ruler over them all. He says, you are this head of gold. So the head of gold in the dream represents Babylon. He says, but after you shall rise another kingdom inferior to yours, then another, a third kingdom of bronze, which shall rule over all the earth. And the fourth kingdom shall be as strong as iron, as much as iron breaks in pieces and shatters everything. And like iron that crushes, that kingdom will break in pieces and crush all others. Whereas you saw the feet and toes partly of potter's clay, partly of iron, the kingdom shall be divided, yet the strength of the iron shall be in it, just as you saw the iron mixed with ceramic clay. And as the toes of the feet were partly of iron and partly of clay, so the kingdom shall be partly strong and partly fragile. As you saw iron mixed with ceramic clay, they will, not, they will mingle with the seed of men, but they will not adhere to one another, just as iron does not mix with clay. And in the days of these kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed, and the kingdom shall not be left to other people, as shall break in pieces, consuming all these kingdoms, and it shall stand forever. And as much as you saw that the stone was cut out of the mountain without hands, that it broke in pieces the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold, the great God has made known to the king what will come to pass after this. The dream is certain, and its interpretation is sure. So Daniel prays, right? God reveals to him. He receives that revelation. He praises God for the revelation. Then he has to act upon it. Now imagine the scene again. The king has just made a decree. He says, if anybody cannot give me my dream and interpret it, off with their heads, cut into pieces. Daniel goes, okay, I'm going to pray about it. All of a sudden he feels like God spoke to him. Now, 
He doesn't go into detail of how God spoke to him. There wasn't like a thundering voice like, hey, Daniel. He's like, God, this is the dream. And he's like, okay, cool. Let me write that down. We don't, we don't hear any of that. He, he prays. God speaks to him. And I, I'm assuming because of the way God speaks most of the time was either through his word but in a, or we're told very clearly that it was through this night vision. God revealed it to him in his mind. So all of a sudden he wakes up or he's there, whatever it looked like, and he goes, okay, I, I, think, I think I know the dream and I think I know its interpretation. I'm sure he told his buddies, like, hey, this is what I got. And they're like, all right, man, what are we going to do? Well, I guess we got to go talk to the king now. So you don't want to just run away and hide? No, I think we should go talk to the king. If I were in that situation, I'd be like, I guess the middle of the night, if we go fast, like, I'm quick. Like, I know another guy, Hananiah or whatever his name is, like, you're not as fast as me, but, I mean, we just got to outrun you. If they catch you, at least I get away. Like, let's just run fast. No, no, they decide. They decide that they're going to go to the king and they're going to risk it all and hopefully tell them the dream, tell them the interpretation to not only save their life, but to save everybody else's life. They have to act. And as scary as it might be, they choose to act on it. Listen, when God speaks, whatever that situation is, we need to choose to act in the right way, in the way that God has called us to act. Sometimes the thing that God has called us to do, sometimes the steps that God has called us to take are very difficult and are in the face of what makes sense. Yet we have to choose to do what honors God and goes in the direction of God. God speaks to them, and they decide to go for it. But listen, when God speaks to you, he gives you the confidence to do exactly what he's called you to. This isn't a verse, but it's just a good saying that when God guides, he provides. In other words, if God directs you to something, he's not going to leave you abandoned to do it alone. When, when Daniel received a word from God saying, saying you are going to go, you're going to give him the dream, and you're going to interpret the dream, it wasn't like God said, like, all right, good luck out there, man. Like, let me know how it goes. No, God promises that he will never leave us nor forsake us. So when God calls you into something, you can expect that God is going to stand there with you. And when God guides you to something, he will provide for you in that situation. So they go, he tells them the dream, and he tells them the interpretation. Now, I'm not going to get into crazy detail on this. We might get into it next week, but Daniel's filled with prophecies that will break down more and more. Basically, Daniel's prophecy came to pass and is still coming to pass. What I mean by that is Babylon, the head of gold, it reigned for about 60 years, uh, 66 years before the second kingdom, an inferior kingdom, took over. This was the kingdom of the uh, the Medi-Persian Empire that reigned about 208 years. Then after that, Greece came to power for about 185 years. And then finally, Rome came to power for about 500 years. Now, after that, that breaks down most of the body. After that, we're told uh, of feet of iron and clay. And basically, the the assumption is that there's going to be an empire that comes to power that is a a basically a conglomerate. Is that the right word? 
I think so. A group of a bunch of nations coming together that are ultimately going to be in power. Some people think that it might be a 10-nation empire because of the five toes on each foot. We don't know. Whatever the case, that is still a future prophecy. And then finally, a day is going to come that God is going to set up his kingdom that will reign forever and ever here on earth. So Daniel predicts two things. One of those predictions has already happened. You can look back in history books. In fact, you will study about in history books most of these empires that Daniel predicts are going to come to power. You're going to talk about Rome. You're going to talk about Greece. You're going to talk about the Medes and the Persians. Like, it happens. But other things are still yet to happen. What that means is because Daniel was right in one thing, we can assume he's going to be right in the other things. So he gives that prediction. Now, final point, worship team, you guys can come up here. I'm just about done. The final thought, not only do we have to pray and receive, not only do we have to praise and act, but we have to trust and we have to advance. We have to trust and we have to advance. Look at the last little section there in the chapter. It says, then King Nebuchadnezzar fell on his face prostrate before Daniel and commanded that they should pre present an offering and incense to him. The, the, the king answered Daniel and said, Truly your God is the God of all gods. He says, The Lord of kings and a revealer of secrets, since you could reveal this secret. Then the king promoted Daniel and gave him many great gifts, and he made him ruler over the whole province of Babylon and chief administrator over all the wise men of Babylon. Also, Daniel petitioned the king, and he said, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego over the affairs of the province of ba uh, Babylon. But Daniel sat in the gate of the king. They trusted God. They believed that what God said was right. They believed that the, the, the vision was going to be accurate, that the interpretation was going to be right. They went before the king. They acted upon it. They trusted him, and God was right. Let me tell you, God's usually right. Say that sarcastically because God is always right. And when God speaks to you, because he will speak to you. Listen, let me tell you, God wants to speak to you. I love this story because, like I said, Daniel's a kid. Daniel's a young man in a, in a foreign country that he doesn't belong in, doing a job he doesn't want to do, living in a world that is totally against what he's used to. And there he is in a sea of chaos, in a sea of craziness, in a sea of confusion, without his family, without his loved ones, without any consistency. And he goes to God and he goes, says, God, will you give me wisdom? And listen, wherever you're at, whether it's in the chaos of school or the confusion and difficulty of a difficult family life, or if it's in just the, the frustrations of friend groups that aren't wanting to walk with God, or if it's just the temptation of doing what everybody else is doing, or if it's just the overwhelming sense of I'm so busy with life and school and all of this stuff. Listen, God wants to speak to you in the midst of it. I believe that God wants to speak to each and every one of you. That's not just like a good, positive thing, like, hey, God wants to speak to you. No, I believe that God wants to talk to you, that God wants to be in relationship with you, that God wants to know you. And God wants to give you wisdom for whatever you find yourself in. But listen, when God speaks, you've got to trust that what he says is the right thing to do. You've got to act upon those things. So you read something in God's word that looks like, man, maybe I should start doing that. You're going to start acting on it. 
and then watch as you begin to advance the kingdom of God. What happens? Daniel does something crazy. Daniel does something crazy. He goes to the king and he's like, man, I don't know, maybe, I guess this is your dream. I think this is what it means. Now, Daniel would never see that prediction come to pass. Daniel would die before these things took place. But Daniel would, would, would make this prediction, trusting that God was right, acting like it was right, doing the things, but watching as God began to advance his kingdom right there. Nebuchadnezzar's response, he goes, man, there's something about your God. Now, it's going to be a little while. We'll see it in a couple weeks. It'll, it'll be a little while before Nebuchadnezzar completely gives his heart to God, but it'll happen. But, but Daniel plants a seed in this moment. Daniel does something. He stands up for God. He's brave for God. He does the things that he's supposed to do. And God plants a seed in the heart of Nebuchadnezzar that will pretty soon bear fruit and transform the culture that they're living in. Listen, God wants to speak to you. He wants to use what he's spoken to you to plant a seed in somebody else. And then God wants to begin a ripple effect in your life and in your world and in your friend group and in your community that can transform what it looks like. You're thinking like, no, no, he can't. Let me tell you, yes, he can. God can change your heart. God can change your life. And listen, you watch as you say yes to God, he begins to transform the people around your life does things that you're like, I don't know how this is working. I don't know why God's using me. I don't know how this is happening. All I did was pray. All I did was ask. All I did was be faithful in what's in front of me. All I did was worship God. And all of a sudden, things began to happen. And I love this. Daniel is all of a sudden put into a position where he's going to have more influence over more people. God's going to use him. God wants to use you. But listen, when you don't know what to do, when you're like, I don't know what I'm doing, pray. When you know what you're doing, when you don't know what you're doing, praise. But when God gives you wisdom, and sometimes you're praying about, this is the crazy thing about God. I'll say this and I'll be done, I promise. Maybe. No, I'm serious. I'll be done. Sometimes we're praying about that. What I mean by that is we're praying about something specific way down the line. Like maybe it's like, God, give me wisdom about what school I'm supposed to go to when I graduate high school. Or like, what am I supposed to do with my life? Or whatever it is. We're praying about that thing down the line. And then God speaks and God says like, hey, you know that, um, you know that music that you've been listening to that, you know, that kind of gets you depressed or gets you angry, gets you frustrated? Um, maybe you shouldn't listen to that music anymore. And you're like, what the heck does that have to do with what college I'm supposed to go to? Or you're praying like, like, God, I really feel like um, I'm supposed to be in this relationship. I really like this person, and it's crazy. Like, they text me back. I don't know why, but it's happening, and it's kind of awesome. Um, is this, like, can I date this person? What am I supposed to do? And God speaks back and says, like, man, you've, you haven't been to church that consistently. Maybe you should, you should keep showing up. And you're like, wait, what? And what happens is God will speak to us in areas because what he wants us to understand is that, that his destination, that the life that he has for us is not one specific, specific thing. It's a journey with him. And if we can learn to be faithful to, with what's right in front of us and we say, like, do you know what? Yeah, I'm going to do that thing or I'm not going to do that thing or I'm going to start walking in that area or I'm not going to walk in that area. And you begin to be faithful with what's right in front of you. You begin going in the right direction. 
And you're like, God, I need that answer. And God's saying, no, you need to do that step. God, I need to be in that place. You're like, yeah, but you need to take one step in front of you. Daniel, he's just faithful with what's in front of him, and God begins to transform his heart and his life. Hey, let's stand together. I'm going to pray. The worship team is going to close us out.